Hello, fellow pediatric junkies, and welcome back to another episode of the Students and New Professionals, or SNAP, podcast. My name is Chelsea Lasky-McFarland, and I am here to bring you our latest recorded conversation with three pediatric residency coordinators, which took place live at the end of August 2020. In this live event, Dr. Lori Grizet of Nationwide Children's Hospital, Dr. Jen Furs of Creighton University, and Dr. Katherine Kennedy of the University of Chicago Comer Children's spoke about the residency experience from application to completion, as well as how COVID-19 required even more flexibility than typical over the past spring and fall. Take a listen. So hello, I am Hannah Cook. Um, I am a third year GPT student at the University of Connecticut. Um, I'm also the student chair right now of the Students and New Professionals group of um, APTA Pediatrics. Um, and we are here with a couple residency directors. Um, and I'm just going to start by allowing them to introduce themselves. Um, just tell us what residency you direct um, and a little bit about yourself. So we'll start, start with Dr. Grizet. Good evening. My name is Lori Grizet. I am the uh, Developmental Pediatric Residency Coordinator at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. And our hospital also has two additional residencies in pediatrics, one in orthopedics and an additional one in sports. So our, um, my position, I am the coordinator. And so as a part of that, I actually have the opportunity of also having multiple roles. So I work at Nationwide Children's in providing patient care through our outpatient department as well as in our Milo clinic um, and sometimes in our seating clinic as well. Um, I'm the clinical lead there, so I also get to do some supervisory roles. And then I have a split position with Ohio State and am involved in the Nice Hunger Center's LEND program. I'm Jen Furs. I'm the pediatric residency coordinator at Creighton University. Um, we have a number of residency programs, um, both PT uh, residency programs and then OT fellowships. So we have an OT pediatric fellowship. OT, it's, uh, even though they use the word fellowship, it's um, parallel to our residencies. Um, so uh, a little bit about what I do. Um, in our residency program, I'm also the NICU mentor. Um, so in our program, um, I provide mentorship uh, for the resident who's in um, the neonatal intensive care unit practice uh, two days a week. And then um, additionally, I uh, teach in our residency program and in our entry level DPT program. Um, I also um, share in some research projects with our residents um, if they have an interest in, in my particular research area. Uh, what else do I do? Lots of other things. Um, but I think most importantly, um, for those of you that are looking for um, pursuing residency education, that um, you do develop really close relationships with the director or coordinator or your mentors. So um, I'd encourage you to find out a little bit about these people um, because they can be very helpful to you as you progress in your career. Um, and you want to make sure that, um, you know, you can have a good working relationship with them. Awesome. And then last but not least, Dr. Kennedy. 
Hi, my name is Katherine Kennedy and I am the um, residency program coordinator at University of Chicago Comer Children's Hospital. Um, we are in Chicago and um, as well as director, I am faculty on for the pediatric residency. Our hospital or department also has um, an outpatient residency, outpatient ortho residency, an OT fellowship similar to Dr. Furs, and um, we have a manual therapy fellowship as well. Um, and as director, I do run the program as well as work with faculty, and then I work because I'm part of the faculty for the residency, work a lot with the residents with mentoring and lectures and carry a patient load and work with the residents as they build up their patient loads. Great. All right, so we'll, we'll, when um, I ask questions, we'll just go in that same order for answers, um, just so then people aren't hopping on um, and talking over each other. So the first question actually deals with prior to when people apply, um, and applicants want to reach out before they apply, before um, when they're trying to figure out what residencies they're interested in, what are you really looking for um, a student to be doing or even a new professional to be doing when they first reach out to each of you um, prior to applying? I don't think there's any one thing in particular that we're looking for in any applicant. So it's really more of a whole package and kind of that making sure the uh, strength of the applicant meets kind of the strengths and interests of our program as well. Um, the biggest thing I would say is really that interest in lifelong learning and um, the you know, sincere interest in pediatrics, as well as that dedication to ongoing commitment and leadership within the pediatric physical therapy. Yes, I would absolutely agree with that. I I would encourage each of you as you're looking at the different programs to also investigate what each program offers that might be different or unique. We're all going to prepare you for to sit for the special, um, specialist exam and we're all going to give you clinical practice in you know, the, the different um, areas of pediatric practice, but each program does have unique strengths and so you should look at that to see if that lines up more with what your interests are. So some programs might focus more on acute hospital base, others might focus more on school-based and early intervention. Um, our program, um, we offer a, a teaching component, so the resident teaches in our entry-level program, so we do a lot of training in that area. Um, so I, you know, I I think it's it's a it's a little different than just looking at the list on ABPTRFE. Whew, that's a mouthful. Um, their website and saying, "Oh, these are all the programs I want to apply to." Go and look at each of those programs to see, you know, what matches with your interests, and then try to build your skills in those areas. So, um, you know, having a clinical um, uh, education, having your clinical education site in PEDS prior to maybe um, your interview is helpful so that you have some experience in, in that area in general is a good idea. I think it's really challenging. You know, sometimes we'll get applicants who haven't yet had their PEDS clinical because it happens just after the interview. 
Um, and I feel like they're not able to answer some of the questions that we have because they just don't have that exposure. So try to get that exposure, you know, early enough that you can you have a basis upon which um, to to discuss with um, other clinicians and faculty um, and mentors. But the one, the non-negotiable factor I will say, and I think this is true for anybody who goes into pediatric practice, is flexibility and adaptability. If you, if that is not a strength of yours, then I would encourage you to maybe look in a different area of physical therapy practice. I agree with everything that's been said. Um, there isn't one specific thing that you can do. We could have two candidates that on paper look exactly the same and it doesn't come down until we meet them in person and you see how they mesh with the rest of the team. That's kind of scary as a student. I understand <laughs> frustrating, but um, I, you know, I agree like looking at the programs, finding out where their strengths are, what they, where they have most of their focus and seeing what lines up with you will help you narrow down and find a closer fit. Um, and, you know, looking for experiences in pediatrics. We know not everybody can get that affiliate, that internship, but finding other ways to gain experience, you know, and even some of that creativity and how you find that experience if you can't get that rotation it shows a lot, so making sure you stand out as well as the program fits you guys. Awesome, those are great answers. Um, so then in terms of um, the kind of how things are weighted in the decision process, um, do you guys really look at competitive GPA, or do you really focus on personal skills during the interview? Um, what kinds of things do you guys really focus on the most, or I guess weight more heavily um, during an interview or during the application process? GPA for us is not a major component by any means. It is one thing that is considered. At the end of this, one of our measures of being a successful residency program is that you want um, the resident to complete their PCS. And so as part of that, they need to be a good test taker and be able to complete that portion as well. Uh, in addition, if the, uh, the resident applicant is a student, if there are any concerns that they might not pass their board's exam, then that GPA might be more of a consideration for us. So, um, but overall, the actual selection of the resident the GPA is, I would say, less important than other factors, um, but just kind of that consideration if we're worried about licensure or completing their DPD program, those are certainly would be reasons why we'd be more in consideration of that GPA. I would absolutely agree. It's, um, <clears throat> it's not the first thing that we evaluate, um, but it would be, you know, you need to meet a minimal bar um, for the, those reasons that were stated. Um, I do think though, broadening out your experiences like Dr. Kennedy mentioned in maybe even some of the non-traditional ways um, is looked upon very favorably because that tells us that you have initiative, you've figured out a path and a way to achieve something that wasn't just put in your lap. And that really speaks to your passion, your drive, your initiative, and your, and your willingness to work hard for something that is important to you. 
I agree. For our program, GPA, again, we want a strong student, but we're not looking at the number first thing off the bat. Um, we look at letters of recommendation. We look at answers on the application, how well written they are, what types of feedback we can get from that. And we do put a lot on the phone interviews and then the in-person interviews. That's where a lot of our, um, that's where we kind of finalize who we feel is going to be the best fit. Great. Um, so in terms of picking a resident, is there any difference between, um, within your residencies, between picking a new grad versus picking someone who's had a couple of years of experience? Do you tend to choose one or the other? Um, how does that work within your residency? I think there's a lot of value to having at least one or two years of experience. It provides the resident with just that ability to manage their own schedule and navigate some of those challenges that adding those on as a, a new grad as well as a new resident can be a really significant challenge. That said, we certainly do accept new grads. Some of it just depends on the applicants that apply. Uh, some years we've had significantly more new grads than we have experienced employees. Um, and so it's just kind of waiting and, and looking at all of those different considerations. Um, and so there's not a, a requirement for our individuals to be uh, more experienced, but I think that there's significant benefits when that does happen. Um, we've had residents that have clinical years of clinical experience and then a number of um, new graduates. And I, I think there's advantages and disadvantages to either of those situations. So we don't have a preference of one versus the other. We do look at the, all the applicants, um, the, you know, the comprehensive picture that they bring to the table and make a decision based on that. I agree. We take both new grads and experienced therapists, and um, we don't have a preference for one. There are pros and cons for both of them, both as them being the resident. I, um, as Dr. Grise said, sometimes having that little bit of experience behind you helps. But then as a new grad, you're very open and you're used to always having someone kind of looking over your shoulder and giving you feedback. So there's pros and cons as the resident. And then for us, we learn a lot from our residents as well. We really appreciate the information they bring in and communication styles and um, the different experiences they've had. So we're not going in there saying we want a new grad or we want a more experienced therapist. We kind of look at the whole pool of applicants and see where everybody's strengths are and who's going to be the best fit for the year. That's great. Um, so in terms of interviews, this is kind of a two-part question. So um, what, do, what does your interview process look like, um, whether it be phone interviews or in-person interviews? And also, is that going to change this year with COVID and the pandemic going on in terms of travel and things like that? We have not set exact plans for this year, but I do have a feeling that it will be impacted. Our typical process is to do a, obviously we review all of our applicants and then we do um, telephone interviews with all of our individuals that have applied. From there, we normally narrow the field down and have in-person interviews with some so that they can come and tour the facility. I think it's a really great way to also 
ensure, as Dr. Kennedy mentioned, really that connection that they have and how they meet with the rest of our, our program faculty. Um, this year, um, our, typically we do our interviews in February, and so I anticipate we will still have travel restrictions from our hospital at this, that point, and so likely we'll be modifying interviews in some way this year. So our typical interview process is very similar in that <clears throat> we would have some phone interviews potentially prior to an on-site interview. Um, our on-site interview is done with all of our residency and fellowship programs. So we have one date and everybody um, comes so that they can see we have an interprofessional curriculum and um, also a between our specialty areas, we have a curriculum as well. Um, so that is an important part of our um, residency program that we want our applicants to see. Um, unfortunately, this year, our university has deferred all of our residents. So we will not have a resident this year due to COVID. But that they have assured us that we can resume our, our applicant pool next year and start then. We have a similar program in that we look through the applications and then go through a round of phone interviews and then bring in our top candidates for on-campus interview. Again, with COVID and the restrictions in the hospitals, I feel like we'll still be on travel restrictions. So the on-campus interview aspect of it will probably change, but we haven't finalized anything. We're working on backup plans. Going to kind of keep both options open and see where we are in the spring, but probably going to end up having to do um, virtual. Yeah, it sounds really difficult. I actually um, have heard of a couple residencies that have had to defer or um, stop their residency, I guess, for the year. Um, so yeah, it's definitely tough. Um, so the next set of questions is just kind of talking about schedule in general. So if you could just touch on, you know, typical caseload that residents handle, um, you know, time during the day for documentation. What just overall, what does the typical day look like in your residency? And I, I know from experience of asking people that that is an extremely difficult question to answer because it is ever changing. Um, but just, I guess, on a basic level, what does the typical day look like? Our resident has um, some days that are clinical based, other days that are research or teaching or um, focused on their LEND activities. So there's a significant variety in what their days look like on their clinical days. For example, in, um, on an outpatient physical therapy day, they would have a sim similar schedule to that of our other traditional employees. So most of our employees work 10 hour days they're scheduled in 60 minute blocks and we build in a half an hour of documentation time at their lunch hour and a half an hour of documentation time at the end. What would be more unique to that resident is they do typically also have an hour of mentorship time that is separated out. So instead of maybe nine patients in a day, they'll have eight patients scheduled for a day, knowing that we'll also have some cancellations that come up. So that's on kind of the outpatient day. Again, on inpatient, it's going to reflect pretty similarly to what a typical employee is having. We just build in some extra time for that mentorship. Yes. So the reason <clears throat> that I said we're looking for someone who is adaptable and flexible <laughs> is because um, 
we don't rotate through different clinical practice areas. They're in those clinical practice areas um, every week. So in the morning, they're in the NICU. In the afternoon, they're an outpatient. Um, Fridays, they're in the NICU in the morning, then a school district, and then aquatics. So they're in three different, <laughs> three different places in one day. Um, and so, yeah, each day kind of varies a little bit between acute care, outpatient, um, school-based, um, teaching. We also have one day where they're doing research and teaching. Um, so every day of the week looks a little different, um, but it is consistent across the year that they will do those different things similarly. Um, but it does require, um, it, it, it requires flexibility to be able to um, make all of those changes um, that are at different facilities that require even driving to different places. So you're never bored, I can guarantee you that. I agree, we have a very similar setup in that every day is just a little different. Um, we've kind of set it up where each week, you know, there's 40 hours in a week, 26 hours is dedicated to patient care, where you're carrying your own patient caseload, which could be in a variety, it could be inpatient, it could be outpatient, it could be in the NICU. Um, and then the remaining 14 hours are like our didactic lectures and learning activities where you might be sitting in a lecture or you might be getting your mentorship hours throughout the week. And you'll also have observation hours and they're kind of spread out throughout the week in different settings. Um, we, we do on certain weeks, you'll be doing more time like in a rehab clinic where as they said, you'll be driving elsewhere or you'll be spending time with our EI therapist or school therapist where you're off the campus for part of the day and then coming back in the afternoon to finish up with outpatients. You're definitely, every day is a little different, every week's a little different, but we do try to give you advance notice on what it might look like. Awesome. So in terms of settings, um, I know um, you guys talked a little bit about it, um, and someone mentioned it earlier that some residencies focus more on acute care, some residencies focus more on school-based, things like that. Um, what do your residencies focus on the most, or are they all pretty spread pretty equally? Our residency maintains about 24 hours of outpatient physical therapy throughout the entire program. In addition to that, we rotate them through the other areas. So there is um, uh, additional time uh, for school-based therapy, early intervention, uh, inpatient rehab, and acute care. So those are all then added on for their clinical work. And then we additionally have time for research and teaching opportunities, as well as kind of a variety of other tasks that kind of fit into that as well. So um, our schedule is kind of into, I would say more like trimesters. So the first semester is an additional focus on um, EI and schools. The next um, trimester kind of focuses more on um, inpatient and inpatient rehab. And then our final section is more on uh, teaching. And so while we have kind of the consistent base of outpatient throughout the time, we then add in and kind of modify the other settings in order to give the individual experience in all of the pediatric environments that we can while they're with us. So our pre, uh, program at Creighton is, um, the resident is in clinical practice um, 30 hours out of the week. 
And of that 30 hours, half of that time is spent in outpatient. And then the remaining half of that time is spread across NICU, school-based, uh, natural environment. That happens every week. And then um, we do have some chunks or blocks of um, inpatient rehab and uh, then more EI focused versus just school-based. So 50% um, of that is outpatient and the remainder of that is spread across different practice settings. I would say ours is, um, like I said, of the 26 hours that you have, that's your own patient caseload, about half of it is in acute inpatient care and the other half is in outpatient. And then that would be where your majority is. And then we work in like NICU and schools and rehab and early intervention. So you do get experiences in all of them, but the biggest amount of patient care I would say is acute inpatient and outpatient. Perfect. Um, so this one has to do with kind of extracurricular activities. <laughs> um, so I know some residency programs work alongside a Lent program. Um, so if any of you want to touch on that or just any other activities that um, you encourage your residents to get involved in um, outside of just treating patients and doing lectures and things like that. Yeah, so as I mentioned with my introductions, I am also a part of The Ohio State University's Lent program, so we do have our resident involved in that. So for that portion of for our trainees, they are spending two evenings a week in coursework with their Lent um, group. And so that's a really neat cohort because they are able to interact with physicians, psychologists, OTs, nursing specialists, genetic counselors, audiologists, just a variety of other health professionals to really uh, work on leadership, that's the name Lend. Um, as well as other advocacy uh, development and just a variety of other topics throughout the year. And then they're also involved in our training clinics, our interdisciplinary training clinic, which takes place one day a week in the fall semester. And that is truly taking that multidisciplinary team that we talk about in that coursework and um, putting it into practice and really learning what are the other individuals bringing to that patient's evaluation? What do they contribute? How can we all learn from each other? and um, how can we best work together in order to assist the patient. So our program is not affiliated with the LEND program, um, but we also have expectations outside of clinical practice and outside of teaching for research and service. Um, I work at a Jesuit university and part of our mission is community engagement and service. So our resident has to determine a uh, service project for the year of what they want to engage in. Um, and we give them options. I'm not trying, I don't need to dictate that for them. I certainly want it to be something that they're interested in um, and are really going to put time and effort in. Um, our resident also has the opportunity, we uh, take our entry level students down to the Dominican Republic for their clinical experience and 90% uh, of that patient population that's served is pediatrics. So our pediatric resident uh, has the opportunity to go down there in a normal year, not this past year when everything was stopped, but uh, for two weeks. And they serve as a clinical instructor, um, helping our students work with that patient population. 
our program is not affiliated with the LEND program either, but um, as part of the residency program, our residents are required to participate in volunteer hours and they have a certain number of hours that need to be met. And we ask that those volunteer hours, again, we don't tell them what they have to do, but we like, we hope that they participate in activities that will give back to the community that our hospital is in because it is in an area that is one of the lower socioeconomic areas of the city. So, and there's a, we provide them a lot of different options that can either be university-based or something they go out and find in the community themselves. That's awesome. Um, so in terms of research, how does your residency go about research? So what are the expectations? Um, what kind of guidance is there with research? So we are fortunate to have a great relationship with Ohio State. Obviously, I have that split position between the two areas. Our residency program actually started with Ohio State and then transitioned. Uh, this is our first year where it's housed primarily by Nationwide Children's. So we still have a great relationship with our faculty at Ohio State and um, really work together well. So um, Dr. Jill Heathcock at Ohio State is our um, mentor for our research component. And so our resident is involved in the first semester with research. Um, what that project actually looks like for our resident varies year to year. Um, and it's gonna be based on what the resident's interests are, as well as what's taking place in the lab and that the resident can get involved in. We want them to be able to do something that's meaningful something that they can kind of wrap up in that time frame. Um, some of our residents have had an interest in that. They've seen that the project is still going somewhere and they want to stay involved. And so they've then continued on throughout the rest of their residency program or even beyond that um, with that resident or with that research project. So our past resident um, kind of did something in her first semester, but then saw that it was kind of at completion and was moving in a good direction. So she stayed on and they've um, recently are in the process of submitting um, manuscripts for that and considering um, applications for other presentations. So I think there's a really unique opportunity. Um, and that all kind of actually grew from an original project that was at Nationwide Children. So we had a therapist, one of our mentors, um, was doing a, um, a program for, for children and offering some intensive therapy for um, our patients with cerebral palsy. And our resident at the time took it on as kind of a case study. And then that grew and um, we now have this multi-million dollar grant with NIH that, our, um, that, that Dr. Heathcock is working on and kind of providing that care through our hospital. And so we've had some really unique opportunities to tag team together and provide that care through Nationwide Children's while providing that research expertise and experience um, with Ohio State. I would agree in that our research project varies because it's driven by the partially by the interest of the resident that year. So um, we will discuss part of what we do in orientation in the beginning of the residency year is to gauge um, the interest of the resident in different research projects and we'll um, talk to them about what research projects are are available. Um, that they can either join in or if they want to do, you know, something that no one is doing. Um, in that case, it's going to be more of a case study because it, the truth of the matter is residency programs are, are 
it's not a requirement of a residency program that you do research um, because you're in clinical practice for a large part of your time. Um, you just won't have the time available to design a research project, recruit subjects, get things completed from beginning to end. So you either need to partner and collaborate with someone who already has a project going on, or you need to do um, a case study or a case series that stems from clinical practice. So um, our requirements are that you submit for a national presentation or you submit a manuscript. So those are our expectations. Um, actually, our past two residents are um, gonna present with me at ABTAC, now it's virtual this year, um, on their work with one of our mentors on spinal muscular atrophy. So it can be a lot of different things, um, but the, the, I think the important part to consider is that clinical practice is your primary focus in a residency program and gaining mentorship in clinical practice and an exposure to research is a really great thing um, but you're not going to have the time to develop your own research project from beginning to end i agree with dr Perez. when we started our residency our first year we were like yeah everybody's going to have a research project and they're going to complete it by the end of their year and that blew up in our face <laughs> nobody was able to get it done and it wasn't their fault it wasn't for lack of trying so that's where we kind of looked back and revamped it and similar every year it's a little different it has a lot to do with the interest of the current resident we are fortunate in that we have a lot of research projects that are going on in the department in different areas and they are welcome and we encourage them to participate and take a part in it and it might be in the data collection it might be in recruiting candidates for the study it might be in scrubbing the data you know it'll be different areas where they get a chance to experience it but they are not no longer required to start a project and finish it within the year because again you're in clinical practice but also similarly we do have ask them to complete a case study and have it ready for publication um, by the end of the year. Perfect. Um, so this could be a really quick answer. Um, I know Dr. Furst talked about it, but um, do any of your residencies offer teaching opportunities? We do indeed. So our um, resident assists with teaching in the DPT program for Ohio State University for their second year DPT students. Um, and they assist with both lectures and with the labs that are hosted for the um, pediatric courses. And this past year, that meant that our resident helped to convert those labs and lectures to an e-learning opportunity for our students, and then was actually able to participate in um, virtual uh, live um, lab practicals. And so there was a really unique opportunity that um, was definitely brought up because of COVID. Yes, our resident participates um, in teaching. That's a requirement of our program. And um, we provide them with a fair amount of training about how to be a good teacher because we value excellent teaching. So we are extremely lucky in that uh, Dr. Gail Jensen does our education module and teaches all of our residents how to become a good teacher. Um, and then they get to practice that quite a bit. Their primary role is in our laboratory setting. And so um, they will assess students in um, lab checks as well as practical exams. So usually most residents are 
are fearful of that, that they have to grade somebody else. And that grade is, you know, an important grade in moving on. Um, but they, um, they gain a lot of experience and we trust them because we've helped them to get to that point that they can do um, an excellent job doing that. So they do teach all year round um, in our program. Our program is not affiliated with the physical therapy student program, like um, a university that has a PT program. So like teaching DPT programs, it's not, it's, it has happened because we're in Chicago and there's several different programs. So we, you know, it's depending on the resident's interest, we have reached out. We've had students, we've had some of our residents teach at Marquette, at Northwestern and some of the other local universities. So it's, it's definitely an opportunity, but it's not ingrained in the program um, to the depth that other residencies have. We also, where we get a, give our residents a lot of experience in teaching is we'll work with them, give them opportunities to teach the medical residents about physical therapy. Um, on a, we do different lectures during their lunch um, hours, their, their teaching periods, and our residents, um, are often, if we as CIs have a student and we have several students throughout the year and we still get to have them, so again, so we'll still have them, but our residents, like if a CI is off, it's usually our resident that'll have the opportunity to work with the DPT students while they're there on their clinicals. And um, we also encourage our students to reach out to the resident, you know, just as someone that's might be a little closer to their level of experience and might be less intimidating than their CI. So they do have an opportunity to work with DPT students, but they're not doing as much like lab teaching on a regular basis. That's great. So um, in terms of allowing, so does your residency allow or encourage students to go to continuing ed courses or um, conferences and things of that nature? We do have funding and the expectation that our resident will attend CSM each year. This year, we're in a unique situation since CSM will be virtual. We are saving money for housing and travel for the resident. And so our resident will also have the opportunity to virtually attend a CPDM here in just a couple of weeks. And so that is something that we're also providing for them. Additionally, our resident um, teaches a course at um, just for a our Central Ohio PEDS group that we have, which is made up of physical therapists from the greater Columbus area from all various settings. So EI, school-based, um, outpatient, kind of all over uh, Columbus. And so the resident teaches a course for that group, um, but then they also have the opportunity to join in some of the other courses that are offered through that. So that's a couple of CEUs um, a year that can also be obtained through um, just attending those local groups. Absolutely. So we value lifelong learning. And so we provide funding for the resident for continuing education um, opportunities at the national level. Um, and then there's usually funding left over for a number of local um, continuing education um, sessions. We also um, train them to be a clinical instructor. So they go through the level one APTA uh, clinical instructor course. Um, at no cost to them, um, mostly because our faculty presents it and um, provides that education uh, for them. 
So um, it's a great opportunity to really continue to advance your knowledge, skills, and abilities, which is essentially what you're trying to do as a resident. Um, so our program feels it's important to support um, individuals in that in that way. Our residents do have money for continuing education as well. Um, they are allowed to go to conferences and we encourage it, especially if it's in line with the residency. Awesome. So in terms of COVID, how did COVID affect um, your residence this past spring? Our residency um, oddly was minimally affected this last um, spring by COVID. So the timing of how things lined up, um, it just worked out nicely. And so we did have um, furloughs for our staff. And so our resident was impacted by that, but due to fortunate funding um, from our hospital and the um, pay that we had, financially there was no impact to our resident. Um, and they were still able to meet all of our expectations for mentoring, for all of our hours of our um, specialty areas. Um, there were certainly a few areas um, that we like to expose the resident to, um, attending clinics like brachial plexus clinic or um, burn clinics, things like that, that we had to um, be a little more creative with our timing or how they participated in that. So some of those were then switched to doing that through um, our virtual Zoom sessions with the patients and not necessarily in person. But as far as the key requirements and components for our residency, we were successful in navigating that quite easily and didn't have any major impacts. This next year's resident um, is a little bit more challenging. So in the fall, our resident is um, with schools and EI and all of the schools in our area are currently on e-learning. And so our resident will have the opportunity to join both EI and school-based settings through virtual settings, but not through hands-on as of right now. Um, that's kind of being looked at and adjusted weekly. So just like the physical therapists um, that are treating those patients in those settings, our resident will get to be adaptable and one week may be virtual and then might be jumping into in-person the next week. Um, I would agree, our, our pediatric residents uh, lucked out um, better than any of our other residents and any of our other programs. Um, they were able to continue in clinical practice. Um, outpatient did transition to uh, telehealth for a period of time and they made that transition as well. Um, but they maintained acute care practice in the NICU, um, outpatient practice, natural environment practice, um, aquatics did, uh, was actually put on pause, but we were able to increase practice, uh, clinical practice in other areas. Um, and we met all our mentor hours. Um, they didn't get to get exposure to inpatient rehab because of COVID that when that happened was supposed to be May and inpatient rehab was not ready to accept <laughs> additional people into that facility. So, um, we were extremely grateful to be able to um, still have our resident practice in all of the clinical practice areas and meet all of our outcomes um, as originally um, described. Unfortunately, the, the trip to the Dominican Republic was canceled. Um, a number of our, our basketball camps with our, our university basketball players that we put on for children with special needs was canceled. So there were, there were definitely some things that were missing, um, but 
big picture, they were able to progress um, unlike other, other residents and other clinical practice areas. Our pediatric resident was very fortunate this year, just with the timing and everything, had completed most of the rehab and schools and EI experiences before everything was shut down. So um, that would have been a loss, but with the timing, they were able to get that. So, and were able to work throughout the whole year and had stayed with patient, got all their mentoring, met all their objectives. Again, lost some observations, like specialty observations, where they might have been in a clinic with a physician, and we just couldn't do that due to social distancing numbers and stuff like that. But overall, um, she even said, you know, like, I don't feel like I missed a lot. Um, and we were like, oh, what in our heads? But you didn't get to do this, or you didn't get to do that, which wasn't that much. It was more just like different observations, but they still had like their NICU experiences. And even with the schools towards the end, because we kind of do it throughout the whole year, and with the outpatient, they did like some of the virtual, you know, and she learned to adapt and just, okay, this is how we're gonna go this week. Awesome. So um, when talking about your residency, um, what do you feel like makes your residency unique? Um, whether it be um, maybe a setting that you really would only offer if the student expressed interest in it um, or like a setting that only you guys might have. I know like some places will like do pediatric oncology or just they have like smaller clinics that really focus on one thing. So what kind of makes your residency unique? I think there's several things that make our residency unique. One is amongst their outpatient experiences. Our resident also has the opportunity to spend at least six months in each, our cerebral palsy clinic, our early developmental follow-up clinics, or our NICU grads, as well as our myelomeningocele clinic, so they get to see that multidisciplinary care in multiple settings. Um, additionally, we have the um, unique opportunity to work in just so many different ways with the teaching and um, the research components, and so there's a lot of exciting ways there. The other unique thing is that I think our faculty works incredibly well together, so we've all been faculty for the residency for several years, but it's also a unique relationship that we um, kind of cross paths and work well in different areas. So um, I was involved with the pediatric labs at Ohio State for five years and so worked with um, our director or for, with the, um, the faculty there and had um, the coordinator for the teaching programs is our mentor for early intervention. So there's a lot of crossover amongst our faculty um, also, Dr. Heathcock works with our research component, um, and then she works with our outpatient mentor, um, is the one that helped design our original uh, research project that allowed that partnership between um, our units to really cross for that research path. So um, we just really work well together and know each other in lots of different capacities, which allows us to be the most supportive and um, the most helpful we can for our residents. Um, I would say from a clinical practice perspective, um, the uniqueness of our residency is the amount of time that the resident is in the neonatal intensive care unit is likely much more than other residency programs. Um, and much of that is because we have two 
mentors in that area that can provide that mentorship to our resident. So from a clinical practice perspective, I think that's a unique strength of our program. Um, additionally, our, um, how our residency program is set up from a curricular perspective, it's both interprofessional and inter-subspecialty. So like I said, we have women's health, neuro, geriatric, pediatrics, orthopedics, um, that's all PT and then OT has a complementary set of residents. And so they all participate in the same curriculum. So we have a giant resident fellowship office that is one big social magnet, um, usually not during COVID times, but they are all in there. So they teach together, they learn together. Um, and it is really, they play softball together. They go um, boating down the river together. Um, so it's a huge community of individuals who are really looking to do the same thing and learning at the same level, even though their specialty areas are different. Um, so that's a unique um, aspect to our program. Um, last two things I would say is our focus on, on education and, and training our residents to be excellent educators. And then our um, experience, our international experience in the Dominican Republic is probably another unique feature. I think our residency does an amazing job giving our residents a very, a, a varied experience. You will see a little bit of everything and things you may never see again um, in your career. Um, and, you know, just your not just kept to a specific module with your patient caseload. Like if you're doing spinal cord, is your kind of like, let's say your module for the week, you're not necessarily seeing only spinal cord injuries. You will be seeing hemoc patients and NICU patients and gen med patients as well as that. So you're having, you'll have a very, you will see patients of all different types with all different diagnoses. Um, and the other thing I think we have an amazing faculty and your faculty are your coworkers. <laughs> that may be a good thing or a bad thing, but <laughs> um, you're working with us. So you're constantly have faculty at your beck and call for questions. They're your teammates, they're your people. You're, we kind of treat you as, you're not the resident. You have equal rights to all our patients. <laughs> Um, and we also have a large residency program with our outpatient ortho. So similarly, there are other residents, maybe you're the pediatric resident, but you have an opportunity to both hang out with the other residents, learn with them, and you can also attend. We allow our residents, you know, time to spend time, take time out of their day to, if there's a lecture on the knee for ortho that they'd like to see, or if one of the manual fellowship um, labs are going on that they'd like to attend, we do our best to kind of work their schedule so that they get, an, they get a chance to sit in on that. All right, so this is our second to last question. Um, so in terms, it has to do with finances, I believe. Um, is it common for residents to continue making student loan payments, um, even if they have already been working one to two years prior to applying while in a program? or do most, most residents tend to defer loans for the year? I do not know the answer to that question. So most of our recent um, residents have been new grads. And so I am, um, 
I'm not sure the exact answer of how they have managed their loans. I have not been asked to, um, we have had some people that have brought us paperwork to sign off on. I know there's some different federal um, grants and, and loan programs, forgiveness opportunities. And so as a nonprofit hospital, we are able to sign off on those and support those programs. Um, but otherwise, as far as deferment and how loans have worked, I have not gotten involved in that. So everybody must just be going along swimmingly without any issues with their loans. Or maybe no student loans at all, right? It's great. Everybody's great. Um, my understanding, because I've signed lots of paperwork as well, is that they could do either. They can defer their student loans for the length of the residency program, and then the residency director has to sign off indicating that they're in an educational program, which allows them to defer those loans for the length of the program. So many of our PEDS residencies are 12 months, some are 13, some are 11. So whatever the length of the residency program is, that's the amount of time you have to defer your loans. But I know other residents who don't want to defer and they're getting paid a salary. Um, so they feel like they can pay on their student loans while they're while they're in the residency. So it's really up to the individual applicant. Yeah, we I've never asked. Um, I do know some of our new grads have deferred. I don't think any of our therapists that came in with a little bit of experience put their loans on hold at all though. I think they just, but I think it's up to the residents. We've done, we've had people defer and we've had people just work through your choice. My last question would be in 30 seconds or less, um, what would be your best piece of advice for residency applicants? 30 seconds. Um, the, I think just like Jen said, really embracing the flexibility and particularly during COVID times um, with the application process, knowing that it's going to vary greatly, but even more so with that residency, that it is going to be um, a process. And so we want it to be a challenge, but at the end of it, you should come out um, feeling incredibly successful, incredibly knowledgeable, and very confident in your future as a pediatric physical therapist. The fact that you all are interested in residency education speaks loudly to your motivation, passion, determination. And, you know, I feel obviously very strongly that residency education is going to do many incredible things for you and with you. And one of those is developing an amazing network of colleagues. Um, and I would, I would encourage you also to do your research about the program before reaching out to the residency coordinator. So I've had people that say, well, tell me everything about your residency program. And my response is, it, there's a lot of information on our website and you know, we're all busy people as are you. So if you haven't even looked at the website, um, it tells me that you haven't investigated much. So I'd really encourage you to do some of your own homework and then absolutely reach out and ask questions in a way that the coordinator sees that you have a good understanding of the program and you're asking questions at a higher level. Then I'm like, oh, wow, I really want to know more about this individual. Um, but, you know, in our current state of things, we're, you know, we're all doing our best. We know you're doing your best. So um, just be persistent in this. If this is what you want, go after it. 
And if it doesn't work out perfectly, the, you know, the first time around, there's a second time. So, you know, really be persistent and diligent. Um, I would say, yeah, be ready to be flexible, be adaptable. You know, it, things are going to change, especially now. We can't really predict what's going to happen. And then take advantage of the learning opportunities. This is a year where you have people at your beck and call. Take advantage of those opportunities and make it your own and have an idea of what you want and ask for that. Let us know what you're looking for. Um, if you leave us guessing and just want us to dump everything and you know, tell you everything we know, it's a lot harder for us to do that than this is an area I'm interested in, or this is an opportunity I'd like. And I really like working with this and let us know where you wanna go and we can help guide you there versus us trying to figure out what, what map do you wanna follow. That was all really um, great advice. Thank you so much to our panelists. And that is it. There is so much individuality with each residency program, and now there are nearly 25 unique accredited programs with four additional candidate programs. On top of that, there are even a few sports and ortho residencies at children's hospitals. Check out the American Board of Physical Therapy Residency and Fellowship Education website to learn about them all and see which one fits you. Just like our coordinator spoke of in the interview, residency is flexible and responsive to the interests of the resident. So get to know them and the mentors that you'll be working with. If you have additional questions, feel free to reach out to Hannah Cook, student chair of the SNAP group. You can find out her contact information in the show notes. Or just contact the pediatric residency program you're interested in. For now, this is the SNAP Podcast, signing off.